smile of God. His face is what he seeks and hopes to see. And this will recover his low spirits. This will put to scorn his laughing enemies. This will restore to him all the joys of those holy and happy days around which memory lingers. This is a grand cheer. This verse, like the singing of Paul and Cyrus, looses chains and shakes prison walls. He who can use such heroic language in his gloomy circumstances will surely conquer. But that's not the end of David's struggle. He's fighting for joy. He doesn't want to be stuck in his discouragement, but the troubles in his life are beginning to feel overwhelming. I want you to read with me uh, verses 6 and 7. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Let me try to paint a picture for you. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in Israel. And it's also where the Jordan River begins. Then it winds its way uh, to the uh, Sea of Galilee and finally down to the Dead Sea. The Jordan River is the reason why Israel is so beautiful and lush and full of life. But for David, he sees a different picture. He sees the waters racing down the mountainside faster and faster, the river rising, the waves crashing. Deep calls to deep. It's like the waves are conspiring against him, taunting him. And before long, he's buried underneath the raging waters. That's what he says. All the breakers and all the waves have gone over me. God, I feel like I can't even keep my head above water. I feel like I'm drowning. That's what David's saying. And maybe some of you in the room today, or some of you watching on the live stream, have felt the same thing. You felt overwhelmed or exhausted. And I think David would say, I've been there. I know what it's like to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. But I also know the one who carries my burdens. I know that he's near and he's dear to me and he will deliver me. David keeps fighting for his faith. He keeps fighting for his joy. Even though he's feeling overwhelmed and exhausted, he keeps reminding himself of how much he's loved by God. Look at uh, verse 8. This is so powerful. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I want to point out something that's easy to miss. 
If you'll look at the beginning of verse 8, you'll see that Lord is in all capital letters. And that means that uh, David is using God's personal name, God's covenant name, Yahweh. It's a reminder to David that God is a God of relationship. God chose Israel and God chose David. David isn't coming before God as a stranger. He's known by God and he's loved by God. And I want you to take a look at at what he says about God's love. The Lord commands his steadfast love. He commands it. It's the same word that's used throughout the Old Testament for God's commands and decrees. The king of the universe isn't giving David his favor. He's commanding it. Here's how one of the old commentators put it. The gift bestowed is grace. Free favor to the unworthy. So the manner of its bestowing is sovereign. It is given by decree. It is a royal gift. And if he commands the blessing, who shall hinder it? So God is commanding his love to abide with David. But that begs the question, doesn't it? What's God's love like? Almost every time I preach out of the Old Testament, I talk about this word, chesed. And that's because it's used over and over again to describe God's love. And if there's one Hebrew word that should be ringing in your ears, this is it. It's that important. Chesed is hard to translate, but it's the kind of love that grows out of a covenant relationship. It's God's never-ending, never-changing, covenant-keeping love. Now... Let's be honest. Our love comes and goes, right? Um, I mean, there are some days when it feels like my love meter is running pretty low. But not God. God's love is inexhaustible. God's love isn't up and down like the stock market, and you'll never catch God on a bad day. His love is a perfect love, and it never runs out. I mentioned the book of Lamentations earlier. It's a book of sadness and despair and lament. But right in the midst of his lamenting, listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 3, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord, the chesed of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. David didn't know where he might find food and water. He didn't know where to lay his head. He didn't know what tomorrow might bring. But he knew that he was loved by God. He couldn't be certain of anything else, but he was certain of God's love. Today, tomorrow, and forever. He was always certain of God's love. And that gave him a song to sing. Look again at verse 8. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. 
the more David considered God's love and goodness and faithfulness, the more his faith was built up. And he wanted to sing. He wanted to praise God with a song. As he was lying there in the dark, he could have worried and fretted over his situation. He could have let his mind race. But he chose instead to remember God's faithfulness. He let God and the things of God occupy his thoughts. And it brought a song to his heart. Here's a a beautiful old quote. Affliction may put out our candle, but it cannot silence our song. David had a song to sing, and so do we. There's something powerful about praising God through song. Here's what Paul says in uh, chapter 3, verse 16 of his letter to the Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing songs of praise and adoration should be the natural outflow of a heart that's dialed into God and the things of God. Even in times of trial and suffering, God invites us to sing. And as we do, we honor God and He ministers to our hurting heart. And David experiences that in the darkness and the loneliness of the wilderness. But the battle's not over. David's eyes turn slowly back to his circumstances and he begins to cry out again. Look with me at uh, verses 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? You can see David fighting for his faith. Look how he begins. God, you're my rock. God, you're my security. God, you're my strength. You're my stability. I'm trusting in you with my life and my circumstances. But God, where are you? Why have you forgotten me? Have you ever felt like that? It feels like God is so far away and your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and you're asking God, God, are you even there? But that's not all David's facing. He says, my enemies are oppressing me. They're taunting me. It's like they're crushing me. I can feel it in my bones, the the crushing weight of their endless taunts. He says, God, I'm hurting. I'm hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. Listen to what they're saying, God. They're, They're taunting me and they're insulting you. Where are you? This is David. This is God's man, the man after God's own heart. But in this moment, he feels alone and he feels dejected. But that's not where he stays. 
And I love the connection Spurgeon makes. His feelings were real, absolutely real. But he turned those feelings into prayers. And it made all the difference. Listen, where is your God? Such was the malice of David's foes. That having thought of the cruel question, they said it, said it daily, repeated it to him, and that for a length of time. Surely the continual yapping of these curs at his heel was enough to madden him, and perhaps would have done so had he not resorted to prayer and made the persecutions of his enemy a plea with his Lord. David wasn't wallowing in self-pity. He prayed. He took all of those very real hurts and pains and doubts and he turned them into prayers. And as he did, as he prayed and communed with God, his confidence was restored. Why can I say that? Well, look at verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> That's exactly the same thing he said in verse 5. He repeats it like a chorus. Why? Why does he come back to verse 5? Well, he doesn't say. But I think it's because he keeps coming back to this idea of God's face. Remember all the way back in verse 2, he was asking, when can I come before the Lord? When can I see God's face? And then in verse 5, he answers his own question. And at the end of the psalm, that's where he takes his stand. I'm trusting God. I can see God's face right where I am with my head bowed and my arms lifted high. I can enjoy God's goodness and God's presence. I can ask for His help. I know that He's for me. And I can trust Him. Amen? I know that He's for me. And I can rest in Him. I know that He's for me. And I can take every hurt. Every insult. Every single thing that's weighing me down. And I can lay them confidently at His feet. Faith. Faith has the last word. Amen? Now, as I come to a close, I want to give you some practical applications. How can we rest in Jesus and His overcoming power as we go through these times of trial? Number one, faith is worth fighting for. Faith is worth fighting for. Look, if there's one thing David teaches us, it's that sometimes faith can be a battle. Our circumstances and our emotions can overwhelm us. I mean, look at what we saw in this psalm. David was struggling. His faith was up and down from one moment to the next. But here's the key. He never gave up. And I think David would say to you and me, fight. Fight for your faith. God will honor that. And faith will have the last word. Number two, take your tribulations to God in prayer. 
David took all of the insults and the pain and the loneliness that he was feeling and he brought them to God in prayer. And so should we. As you go through painful circumstances, pray. Lift those circumstances up to God and he'll do two things. He'll draw near you as you pray and he'll show you that no matter what you're going through, He's bigger than your circumstances, and He's sovereign. Pray and let God build your faith. Number three, meditate on the attributes of God. There's a good reason David kept reminding himself of the love of God and the presence of God and the goodness of God. Those are the things that provide an anchor for our soul. David didn't know what tomorrow might bring. But as he reminded himself of God's love and presence and goodness, he knew that he belonged to God. And even in all of the rough and tumble circumstances of his life, God was working and he was working for his good. And it gave him peace. Meditating on God's attributes helps us to see God for who he is. And as we do that, God gets bigger in our eyes. And the troubles get smaller and smaller. Number four, praise God in song. Over and over again, the book of Psalms tells us to sing to the Lord. Sing praises to our God. And those songs of praise are even more meaningful when we sing in the midst of pain and suffering. In those times, a song of praise not only glorifies God, it also ministers to you. God will comfort you and encourage your heart as you sing. I think David would tell us to sing. Sing one of your favorite hymns or sing along to your favorite worship CD or make a playlist of your favorite worship songs. But sing. Sing to Him. And watch what He does. And then number five. Pray for one another. Pastor Darren loves to remind us of the one another commands in the New Testament. And he should. That's foundational. That's, that's how the church ministers. God commands us to pray for one another and to bear one another's burdens. So if you're walking through troubles or difficulties in your life, let me encourage you, don't walk alone. Let the church be the church. Find someone you know and trust and have them pray for you and keep praying for you. Prayer is the lifeblood of the church. There's power in prayer. And that's especially true when believers come together and pray together. Be willing to let others pray for you. Let them help you carry the burden. That's God's way. And God will work through them to bring you healing and comfort. Be the church. Be the church. Would you pray with me?